Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. But before we do, guys, I gotta know. Real good question here. What is the best food at a cookout that is not cooked on the grill? You know you know me and food questions. It it's always food, comes food back to food. Food questions are fun. People love to talk about food. Uh, yeah, good Memorial Day kind of question. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm usually going to any kind of like chips and guac or those mm-hmm. sorts of things is there. But at a classic like cookout, watermelon is probably like the best cookout food because I, I eat guac all the time. So, but watermelon, mm, that's How so often good. are you eating guacamole? Uh, at least weekly. Yeah, I would say so. How Salsa often? every day, but it, guac, uh, we'll, we'll mash up a, an avocado or two. Maybe you a know, couple probably times Probably once or twice me. a week. A couple times a day? Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, you eat? Couple, no, sorry, a couple times a week. A oh, couple times okay. a week. Sorry. I was like, that's expensive habit. No, a couple <laughs> how, times a week. How yeah. come you call guacamole guac, but you don't call salsa sauce? <laughs> you get the guac and salsa? Guac and salsa? Mostly for the looks. People, people would look at me. <laughs> be like, what is this guy doing? Do you, do you abbreviate refrigerator in your house? Fridge? Fridge? Yeah. yeah. Have you ever heard someone call it the refridge? No. Do you guys call it the refridge? No, okay. but I know people that do. I find that funny. <laughs> the the selective process of how to shorten words I find entertaining. I would go with pasta salads of all kinds. Okay. Uh, yeah, mine was going to be chips or dip, but also um, like there's usually, I usually at the cookout, I was like, there's some like ice cream. There's pie. There are, there's good fruits. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, to me, that's that's the thing. But chips and dip, I'm going to go for that first. Peach cobbler with vanilla ice cream. Oh, Ooh, that's some that stuff. sounds good. That's so good. Hey, do you call your dishwasher the dishwa? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Clinton. Passage. What are we talking about? <laughs> think about all the appliances in a, in a kitchen right now. Uh, so we're, we're going to read uh, Isaiah chapter 30. Let me give you just a little bit of context here. So Isaiah is living at a time when the threat on the horizon is the Assyrian Empire. And all of the little countries around Assyria are trying to figure out, is there any way we can fight back? Is there any way we can defend ourselves? And so the option that many of the nations around Israel are doing is to actually find the next biggest person on the block, which is Egypt, and saying, you you have military, you have power. If we uh, ally ourselves with you, will you fight for us against you know the Assyrians? And so Israel is considering, should we go and ask Egypt for help? So that's, that's the context for Isaiah chapter 30. We're just going to read the first 18 verses. That's all, just the first 18? Just, just okay. that, just 18. Just. All right, here we go. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Hanes, Everyone will be put to shame because of a people useless to them, who bring neither help nor advantage, but only shame and disgrace. A prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev. Through a land of hardship and distress, of lions and lionesses, of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys' backs, their treasures on the humps of camels, to that unprofitable nation 
to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. Therefore, I call her Rahab the do-nothing. Go now, write it on a tablet for them, inscribe it on a scroll, that for the days to come it may be an everlasting witness. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right, tell us pleasant things, prophesy illusions, leave this way, get off this path, and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says, because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. It will break in pieces like pottery, shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found, for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. All right, let's talk about O, which stands for observations. This is where we look at uh, the details of the passage and see what we can see. What do you got? Well, O also stands for obstinate, um, <laughs> which I, I had to actually, I was like, gosh, I, I, you ever like read a word and you're like, I know what it means and I know that that's not a good thing. But like if I had to actually define that word for somebody, I would have no idea how to explain obstinate like clearly. So I, go, I Googled it. Stubbornly refusing to change one's opinion or chosen course of action despite attempts to persuade one to do so. I was like, oh, wouldn't have got that. I've got a six-year-old you should meet, so. Okay. So um, to me, that was very helpful um, to know exactly what obstinate meant. But um, as you look through that entire passage, as you think back to the entire Bible, God has always been persuading his people to do what is right and to do what is good and to change their course of action, and they have not. It's also a good clue or key for what you're about to read. Yeah. If, if the first sentence of what you're reading is, woe to you obstinate children, yeah. it it helps you like frame up what's about to come. Um, so I, verse four, though they have officials in Zoan and their envoys have arrived in Haines. Now I just want to ask our listeners, when you hear about envoys arriving in Haines, what are you imagining right now? Because at first reading, I just need some people to admit that they're thinking about envoys of people showing up in Hanes underwear. Well, yeah, how do they know it wasn't Fruit of the Loom or Jockey? I mean, it, you know, yeah, these are these are the these are the deep biblical things we're trying to dig out here on the Bible Savvy yeah. Podcast. Uh, Hanes is a city, everyone. They the envoys arrived in Hanes. Uh, okay, so not talking about underwear now. I did find it humorous. In verse 7, 
So it says, well, I'll go back a little further in verse six, a prophecy concerning the animals of the Negev, though a land of hardship and distress of lions and lionesses of adders and darting snakes, the envoys carry their riches on donkeys backs, their treasures on the humps of camels to that unprofitable nation to Egypt, whose help is utterly useless. I don't know why I find this funny. Therefore, I call her Rahab the do nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, kind of out of the blue. A prophet <laughs> just kind of throwing in a, a nickname, but Rahab has some story behind it. I'm assuming that's where the there's some connection between who Rahab was and the context well, of the story. Or the the word Rahab is um, there's a there's a character named Rahab. So like the the woman who rescues the spies when the you know they come into the land. Uh, but the name Rahab is also a name for the kind of cosmic sea monster. So if you've read through some of the Old Testament, you might have come across words like Leviathan uh, or uh, kind of the the like monster in the sea. It kind of represents uh, chaos and trouble and, uh, you know, the, the opposition to God. And so uh, somehow that becomes a nickname also for Egypt in several places in the Bible um, where it's almost like God throwing shade at them saying, you're, you're on the dark side here. Um, you're not a source of order, which they thought of themselves as a source of order. No, you're on the you're you're a source of trouble and chaos. So you uh, that's that's all like you know cultural context knowledge, but I do think you can get that in the footnote. I yes, don't remember can. if it's in yeah, this one. Yeah, so I, I was just going to say. So I went down to the study notes because when I when I'm reading the Bible and I see names or references to things that I'm familiar with, and I know there's another story, it is uh, not wrong to assume that the writer or the speaker is pulling that person, that story, that context into what they're saying, right? So when I see Rahab, my brain to me says, okay, Rahab, I know there was a Rahab. What was the story? What's Isaiah doing with Rahab? So then, so I'm going to do one of two things. I'm either going to go down to my study notes and take a look to see if it gives me a hint, or I'm going to go to the cross-reference links in my study Bible and say, okay, where's the story of Rahab? In either case, if you do that with Rahab the do-nothing here, you either go down to the study notes and it tells you a mythical sea monster, it's monster here symbolic of Egypt, the name itself means storm and also arrogance, or you go to the cross-reference links and it's what it, where it's going to take you to is other references to the Leviathan or the sea monster. So either way you go in a study Bible, you're going to get the answer to the question. I, I make the observation of all the references to Egypt and this, this is another one where there's kind of an association, right? So if you are in Israel, when you think about Egypt, you're not just thinking our powerful neighbor to the south. You are also thinking about the story of Israel, which starts with being rescued from slavery from Egypt. Now, this is, you know, hundreds of years later. This is, this is not like their situation. But at the very beginning, when God set them free, as part of the law, he told them, never go back to Egypt. And he knew, well, you know, why would I go back to Egypt? You know, I want to, want to be a slave again? Well, no. He knew that at some point they would be going back because they needed help and they would almost be uh, subsuming themselves under Egypt again, saying, we need your help, so we're going to be kind of under your thumb. And he's saying slavery lies that direction. So this is part of what God is upset about. Uh, they're they're de- deliberately going against an explicit thing that's in his law that says, don't go and ask Egypt for help because that didn't go well the first time. Yeah, that was one of my observations as well, is that they, they go and they ask Egypt, and or even to like these other nations, right, are going and asking. But specifically, God's people should know better. Don't go to another nation. Come to me, right? Um, and then I, I it says here, like, uh, Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. So it's like a, 
a king, another nation, they can't, it can't bring you shade, right? It can't bring you protection. Only God can. And you would have thought that the Israelites by now would have got that. But again, that reference to obstinate children, it's like forgetfulness. They just couldn't, they couldn't hold on to it. I wonder how many examples we could come up with of people going to the wrong place or the wrong person for help. And, and sometimes knowing it's not going to help. That, that's part of how addictive behavior works. Um, even even before it gets to that pathological, like, you know, compulsive kind of thing, there are times when we say, you know what, I know this didn't go well for me before, but I'm going to go back and behave this way. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. Another observation for me, uh, this jumped out to me, verses 9, 9 and 10. For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, see no more visions, and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. A flowery way of saying, just tell me what I want to hear. Don't challenge me. And that stuck out to me because I, I jump then to Timothy in the New Testament where it says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It wasn't just Israel. Yeah, I wrote down there, stop telling me to do the right thing. Yeah. 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 Just stop telling me to do the right thing. Yeah. I, I have got the observation uh, in verses oh, 12 through 14. There's this image of uh, going to Egypt, which he says is a sin, and it's going to be like uh, like depending on a cracked wall. And it's got this very vivid image of uh, a high wall that's cracked and bulging and it collapses all of a sudden and it breaks into pieces and it's shattered. There's this, this you look at the wall and it looks so strong. You're like, oh, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to lean on that. And then it just total like absolute uh, weakness. And so there's that, that idea that Egypt looks really strong, but they're going to turn out to be their downfall. And again, I think that's one of those things that happens. There are times we'll look to something as a solution, but when we actually go to it, it it cannot deliver on that. It's actually much weaker than it advertises. Another thing that I saw back up in verse one, it says, uh, when he's talking to these absent children, he says, to those who carry out plans that are not mine. Um, I thought of just a broader, like I thought up to... Uh, the New Testament and Ephesians, where it says that you, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, it, that God created in advance for us to do. And it's this idea that God created us specifically with good things in mind, with gifts in mind. He knows everything that we will and will not ever do, right? And yet we try to create these plans on our own that says, well, I'm going to go do this thing. And it's, we get frustrated when, this, when our plans are frustrated, Think about like God sitting there going, that's not what I wanted for you. Like he's just as, as as frustrated. And if not, we'll frustrate our plans because he knows that that's not the right thing. So to me, this is, is interesting. He's, he's frustrated by us trying to make our own plans. I'd say yes, yes and no to that. I think, okay. there's, I think there's probably two categories of this. So one category, like what you're talking about is if I'm living my life, and I am just kind of making my own plans, doing my own thing, not really thinking with any depth, is what I'm doing, how I'm spending my time, is this in alignment with God's ultimate plans? Not just for me, but my life fits into God's ultimate plans, right? So there's an alignment there that you're talking about. Yeah. 
But then there, so that's one category. But then there is the other category of telling yourself that you are proactively solving your problem Mm -hmm. when you know that the way you're doing it is wrong. Right. Yeah. So, so the the category you were talking about is almost unintentional. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, you have to be very diligent to keep asking the question: Am I living my life in alignment with God's ultimate purposes? Yeah. Uh, and and I think sometimes we can we can kind of get out of alignment without any kind of intentional disobedience. Right. But then there is the I'm going to do that which I know is wrong and have been explicitly told by God and other people. That is wrong. Israel knew because the Lord told them, you are not to make alliances with other countries. You are to trust me. I will be your defender. And they are looking around and they think they're being smart and clever and proactive and being problem solvers. But they know that what they're doing is exactly what the Lord told them not to do, which is why they're telling the seers to see no more mm-hmm. and the and the prophets to have no more visions. Um, so... Uh, so a yes, that's why I give you a, a yes, a yes and a no on that. Yeah, I see what I you're saying. I think they're like they're yeah. like two different categories. Uh, but verse verse fifteen, I find this very interesting and very hard to apply. This is what the sovereign law said: the Holy One of Israel. So here is the solution: to all of this in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. That feels so passive and so do nothing. Right, that everything about me as someone that's like, let's solve the problem, let's fix it, that sounds so counterintuitive that it's a hard to believe, and b super hard to do. Yeah, it's the the Old Testament is so full of those uh, stories that we we love to tell the story. Right, they're standing at the water, and it says, "Don't worry, an army's coming. the The Red Sea's in front of you. Just trust God." And then something happens, you know. To just march around the, the the walls. Just you know, it's like all of these. Go go out and uh, just sing in front of the the army, and God will defeat. Like just just stuff that's just crazy. But it's, it makes a great story. But when you're in the situation where it's like, and so what you're going to do is be quiet and rest and be still, and you're going to wait for God to do something. That is not. That does not feel like a heroic, amazing story. It feel it feels like nothing is happening, and it's so frustrating. And it definitely doesn't feel American. <laughs> no, it is not our style. All right, let's uh, go on to one of the M's in comma, and we're actually going to do meditation, and we'll use that verse, that verse 15. I do really think this is kind of the heart of the passage here. So uh, let's spend about 45 seconds prayerfully pondering, oh my goodness. That wow. sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week, and it comes late in the episode, and it's the summertime. So we're adding a little bit to the, the summer comma tips of the week. We're going to pull some quotes from some famous people to be included in our comma tips. And so the first one this summer is Billy Graham. If you are ignorant of God's word, you will always be ignorant of God's will. The greatest thing about reading the Bible is not Bible knowledge. It's God knowledge. It's getting to know the God of the Bible. So keep reading your Bible this summer. And this has been your comma tip of the week. All right. Well, I do do think that's a good point at meditation because this is the part where we're talking with God. We're not just thinking about the the words. We are engaging with God. So I'm going to read to you verse 15 again and hear these as God's words to you. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust 
is your strength. All right, let's talk about the other M in comma, which is message. This is when we sum up, based on our observations, uh, an idea that uh, it can be captured in a sentence or so uh, from this passage. Uh, my message is uh, coming off of that word uh, obstinate. Um, I do not want to be an obstinate child. Like, don't be an obstinate child. That's my message, essentially. Um if someone is coming to you and telling you to change your course of action, specifically and especially if it is God, if you're reading in his word that you're off track, don't be an obstinate child. That's good and hard. The, the, the first reaction when someone brings you course correction is normally to just be mad at the person, yeah. right? So we're either mad at God or mad at the person. How dare they tell me that I am not perfect? All right, so mine is, it is not passive to proactively put your trust in God. Nice. I like that. Uh, My message is when you rely on anything other than God to rescue you, it will fail you. All right, let's talk about application, okay? If these are our messages, what do we do in response? Um. For me, it's I, I think it kind of goes back to that repentance, that, that passage of, of that 15 that we just at, look, looked at is is looking at um, where is it in life that I'm being obstinate right now? Where do I need to confess? Where do I need to repent? Um, who do I need to invite into my life to say, hey, like, do you see something that you need to call out in me? Uh, what is it that I need to change? You know what I mean? Um and I think we have to do that on a regular basis. That's the, that is the, that's the, the process of confession and repentance is is keeping short accounts of your life, right? So to me, that's it. But I also would think too, like Eric, when you said about that that thing about sometimes like we could be living our life and get off track and not actually know that we are. Um, I think it's also taking the time to to say, okay, God, am I off track and I don't know it? Or go to somebody and say, hey, do you think I'm off track and I don't know it? Like, just having that that freedom to have a conversation, like this open conversation to say, what is it about my life that I need to possibly change and bring before God on a regular basis? Uh, since we were meditating on the verse that says, in repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, and my message is, it is not passive to proactively put your trust in God. Uh, my specific application is quietness and rest to intentionally and proactively make sure that those things are a part of my life. Often Christians will call it their quiet time, which always feels a little bit childish to me. Um, But let's just call it that. 
let's just say we all need quiet time. Oh, I wonder if that if the microphone picked that up, that'd be amazing. Clayton's belly just went. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, just did that. Oh, my application uh, in light of my message. Come on, Clayton, pull it together. Uh, all right. Uh, my application in light of my message is uh, that I really have to examine what I'm trusting. So if you trust in something other than God to rescue you, it's going to fail you. And it's better to know that beforehand rather than when the wall crumbles. Um, and so I, I think sometimes those things are uh, – sometimes they're old habits and patterns that you go back to and you say, well, this was kind of how I coped with things. It's not going to work. Uh, other times it's things when you think you're strong, you know what I mean? That these are good things, you know, strategy and skill and, uh, you know, the, the kind of things that, you know, in my workplace that I'm using all the time, but those can replace going to God and saying, am I praying about this? Am I seeking God on this? Am I fasting? Am I doing these things that say my dependence truly is on God to rescue me? The thing that's going to deliver me is not all of this good thinking or the help that I'm going to get from somebody, it's going to be God doing it. Um, and it can be easy to fool yourself in, into thinking you're trusting God when you really haven't sought him. And so d- doing that examination and, and, and checking. And this has been your Clayton tip of the week. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening this week, friends. Join us next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy reading plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and to start Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.